All right. Good morning. My name is Jimmy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central. I want to welcome you. Thank you so much. And um, I love the Apostles' Creed. It took me a while to really warm up to it. There's one part that I always chuckle at when he comes to judge the quick and the dead. Thank God I'm not quick and I'm not dead. <laughs> so I don't get judged. <laughs> um, <clears throat> anyway, I guess you don't find that funny. You guys eat breakfast? What's wrong? <laughs> All right. Um, you know, uh, one of the challenges that I've experienced through the years of ministry is to help people see a continuity of our faith. A lot of times we start the journey by grace through faith in Christ, and then the rest of it seems so disconnected from that joyous journey. Um, there are many times when I've seen people uh, respond to a preacher's message of the gospel, and an invitation is made, and then people stand up or they'll walk down an aisle, they'll say a prayer. And then they'll often return back to their seats and to their lives. And often, not always, but often, there really isn't a mention of what it means to follow Christ. That it's just receiving a gift, and it's almost like that's the end of it. And we're waiting for that gift to be realized when we go to glory. The rest of that journey is also filled with grace. And the grace that I want to talk to you today is about the cross and being crucified with Christ. The cross of Christ is something that is a remarkable place that was a mark of death, but by the grace of God and by the power of God has been transformed as a place of life. It brings life. Through his death, there was so much life that was given birth through it. The Christian call to believe is not just a call to believe in a historical event or even just a theological truth, but to believe in a person. And this decision to believe is also a decision to follow. And this following leads us to the foot of the cross. A.W. Tozer, a, a, uh, a writer and a pastor who has written several books, and his devotion and his heart and passion for Christ is so evident. He writes on the cross and he says this, The cross of Christ is the most revolutionary thing ever to appear among men. The cross of the old Roman times knew no compromise. It never made concessions. It won all its arguments by killing its opponents and silencing him for good. It spared not Christ, but slew him the same as the rest. He was alive, and when they hung him on the cross, and completely dead when they took him down six hours later. That was the cross, the first time it appeared in Christian history. Tozer continues to write about its effects. The cross affects its end by destroying one established pattern, the victims, and creating another pattern, its own. Thus, it always has its way. It wins by defeating its opponent and imposing its will upon him. It always dominates. It never compromises. It never confers, never surrenders a point for the sake of peace. It cares not for peace. It cares only to end its opposition as fast as possible. When you think about the call to follow Christ, to take up our cross and follow him, what Jesus was asking wasn't just simply struggle through life and accept it. He was asking us to learn what it means to die with him to the things of this world that we might truly enjoy the life that he calls us to live. There's a passage in Galatians that I want to share with you today, and it's been something of a thought and meditation I've had for many, many years 
So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read from Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 to 21. And it says this. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Galatians 2.20 is the memory passage. It's one of those passages that as you recite it and memorize it, it begins to provoke thoughts and emotions of the heart. I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? Well, the Apostle Paul, as he writes the Galatian letter, is writing a letter, and it's one of those rebuking letters. And he writes because the Galatian church was about to do the unthinkable. They were about to abandon the true gospel for a false gospel. A a gospel that was centered around faith in Christ for a gospel that was a faith in Christ plus the law. What had happened is Judaizers, which are people from the Jewish camp, had come and wanted to infiltrate the church to confuse this message and remind the converted Jews You should not abandon the law of Moses. Be a faithful Jew. And if you must follow Christ, make sure that you also uphold the law. Make it about the law and Jesus. In doing so, the Apostle Paul was even confronted uh, with the situation where the Apostle Peter himself would struggle with this pressure from the Judaizers. And what we find is that Not only did he have to confront Peter, but even his beloved friend Barnabas was led astray, as well as many Jews who had converted in the Galatian church. And so the apostle Peter saw that there are certain things that, you know, are not worth fighting for, but this was a hill to die on. When you confuse the gospel, this is a matter of life and death. And it was so significant that in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul calls this, this notion of adding on to a faith in Christ as an anathema, something to be condemned. So to take it seriously, I want us to consider the importance of the challenge of what it means to really be dead to the things that we hold on to so much and to be alive in Christ And to understand what it means this morning to be crucified with Christ. The first thought that I have with you, I want to share with you, is that to be crucified with Christ means an act of surrender. A surrender of the Jesus and. This idea of the Jesus and is is an issue that was happening in the Galatian church. But I think it doesn't happen just then. I think it continues through the centuries. Since the beginning of the first man and woman and their decision to do their own thing, mankind has had a tendency to make our own way to God. And beginning with Adam and Eve and their, one of their first sons, Cain, who offered up a sacrifice of his own works, the fruit of the ground, that we found that if Cain would have offered what God had prescribed, like Abel did, he would have been received. But Cain wanted to offer his own version of sacrifice to God, his own way to be found right with God. It continued in the Tower of Babel when men wanted to build their own highway to heaven, their own pathway to heaven. And then we continue through the centuries where we see that thousands upon thousands of idols are found both in temples and in the hearts of men. 
The tendency to create a competing little g God is an unending battle. But perhaps the most subtle battle is the battle where it's not replacing Jesus, but it's adding to Jesus. In chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes that Peter stood guilty, or he used the, the translation in the ESV as condemned. It's not that Peter lost his salvation, but he stood judged for, for doing something where it confused the gospel. And what had happened is that before the Judaizers came, eating with the Gentiles, eating with people that are unclean, for Jews, was, it was a no. But because of Christ, it was a yes. And that's what, Paul was, that's what Peter was doing. But when the Judaizers came, they were saying, do you, really, do you really think that's what you should be doing? And he withdrew. So much so that other Jews began to pull back. Even Barnabas pulled back. And when Paul saw that they were sending a message of confusion regarding the gospel, that you're not a Christian because you follow the law. You're not a Christian because you're able to uphold every one of these things. You can't. And so Paul confronted Peter. He confronted the rest. The challenge of the church continually has been to make sure that we uphold the purity of the gospel. It is the one thing that is a hill that's worth dying on. It is something that we must fight for with every breath and every heart, not only in the world of theological debate, but also within our own hearts. The history of the Protestant church movement was a move away from the hybrid view of the practice of both truth and tradition. The Catholic Church had one point blended and confused the message of Scripture as well as the traditions that it, was, that it had created. And the Reformation movement began with the cry of the solas because they, we, the Reformers wanted us to come back to the fundamentals of the gospel message where it brings us back to sola scriptura, only by scripture alone, sola fide, by faith alone, sola gratia, by grace alone, solus Christus, by Christ alone. And soli dea gloria, only for the glory of God alone. The cry of the Reformation tried to bring us back away from the traditions that, used, that was set before, where it was a hybrid, it was an addition to. This evil habit, Tozer continues to write in his book, The Pursuit of God, and he writes this, the evil, evil habit of seeking God and effectively prevents us from finding God in full revelation. In the end, and lies our greatest woe. If we omit the and, we shall soon find God, and in him we shall find for that all that we have our lives been searching and secretly longing for. It is this deadly and. It's not replacing Jesus, it's adding to Jesus. I have Jesus. Oh, but if I can really find acceptance, if I can really have those people accept me and like me, then I will find true joy. Or perhaps the oughts. I ought to be married by now. My church ought to be this way. My dreams of life. My life wasn't supposed to be ending in divorce. Even last week, I had the privilege to preside over a funeral of one of our church brothers, Albert, who had passed away at the age of 34. There's only three funerals I've done of people younger than me. And every time I did those funerals of three men, my heart ached for the family. You can't help but ask the question, why? This can't be your best will. 
and these oughts of life that a parent ought not to bury their child, that our parents ought not to die so early or so painfully, or maybe even our children. There are times when, when we think about kids and we want the best for them, so much so that it brings ache in our hearts, that I've met parents who struggle as they visit social media and they see the accomplishments of other children winning awards or going on these trips and, and getting straight A's and their kid is not. And there is a sense of dying in their heart that I can't believe this is happening. And all of a sudden, the, the joy that we're supposed to find in Christ is robbed, not because Christ isn't sufficient, but because we've added something to that joy as a requirement. In the end, if we omit the end, it is what was happening in the Galatian church, that somehow the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ and all that he provides wasn't sufficient, that it got confused with the pressure, the peer pressure of other Jews who were saying, you need to keep the law, you need to continue to, to live by the standards of our father Moses. And in today's culture, there is a continual pursuit of Jesus and religion and this and. And it's almost this pursuit that you never realize, you never, you never call it an idol. You never would call it something that was in addition to. But when your identity, when your joy, when life is defined by more than life given by God, there is a tragedy. There is a trap. And one of the things that I've discovered as I met with people and I would talk with them is that even as we start the journey by grace through faith, we struggle and we don't know how to find the joy in our daily lives. I'm sure maybe some of you sitting here this morning, as you come to worship, you struggle to experience the fullness of giving to God in worship because there's something else that is burdening and waiting upon your heart and you don't know how to release it and let it go. And this morning I want you to understand God understands, God knows. And that the beauty of the cross is not that you have to come and die on it because you can't. The one death that was required, Christ fully did. As we come to the cross, Jesus beckons you to understand that that too is what he died for. That nothing else needs to be sufficient for you to live. Nothing else needs to be sufficient for you to be found acceptable, pleasing, and right in the sight of God, except that which Jesus has done. The Apostle Paul had much to boast about in life. Born of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. When it came to the law, he was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. When it came to all that he might esteem and desire in life, he had it. He was zealous for his faith, so much so that he was a persecutor of the church. But as he had so much to live for, when he met Jesus, all that was meaningless. He writes in Philippians 3, whatever, was, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ 
the righteousness from God that depends on faith. For Paul, his whole life was about the law. It's how he identified himself. It's how he grew up. It's what he believed in. It's how he defined every day's worth and his own worth. But when he met Christ, all of that was considered as rubbish. And he said, it is a surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, which I want us to understand that as we come to be crucified with Christ, as we come to lay down these ands that we add to Jesus, I want you to understand that whatever and thing that you are called to let go, God is not robbing. That you're not losing out on life. But in order to experience the fullness of what God wants to give us and allow us to learn and live in, he calls us to entrust those things to him. It is those very things these and, Jesus ands of life, the God and, I need God and, that robs us of daily joy. Have you ever felt stifled in your faith? Do you, do you feel stifled this morning? And I want to ask you, what are some things in your life that you are asking that it's not just a request, it's almost a demand? It's not just a would-like, it's an absolute need. And whenever things or people reach that level, it becomes dangerous. And there are times when God, out of his loving grace, wants us to experience the fullness of life, not defined by all these circumstances, but defined simply through him. Remember that the definition of eternal life is not to have everything for eternity. But as Jesus defined it, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he had sent. The only true God. And so it is a surrender of the Jesus and things of life. I know there are some people who probably are struggling with things like marriage or having children, as Young talked about today. And it's not to condemn, it's not to put you down. We understand that, and God does too. But whether you have it or not is what's, it's not what going, is going to define life. That the greatest central place with which Christ needs to be centered in our hearts and our lives is the place where only he reigns supreme. And all the other places where I hold on to the domain of power and authority and, and calling, those things we let go and we surrender so that we may truly be able to know and walk with him as he so calls us. A second quality of this, this being crucified with Christ is not only a, daily, uh, is a surrender of the Jesus and, but it is also daily surrender of the me, myself, and I. You see, one of, the, one of the most significant idols in life that are apart from all the things out there, the dreams, the passions, the desires, the people that we love, is me. When Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, the rule, the, the authority of God was undermined and man became his own little g-god. And in doing so, every idol that man would create would be an attempt to fill a void that no created God could ever fill, including ourselves. But in this plight of this struggle to create a God in our own image, that we understand now that as Christians, that every competing God 
needs to be done away with. And that every time one surfaces, we realize it and bring it before the cross. To be crucified Christ with Christ then is to follow him in discipleship. He writes in Matthew 16, 24, when Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And in Luke's version, he adds the word deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, obviously, the cross was an instrument of death. It wasn't an instrument of just hurting or difficulties. It was an instrument of death. And what Christ was calling was to deny the self and to be willing to die to the very things that you lift for, that you may truly understand the life he he wants to give. A.W. Tozer writes, with perfect knowledge of all this, the cross, Christ, Christ said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself. So the cross not only brings Christ's life to an end, it also ends the first life, the old life, the, the, of every one of his followers. It destroys the old pattern, the Adam pattern of the believer's life and brings it to an end. Then the God who raised Christ from the dead rises, raises the believer to a new life and the new life begins. I remember before I came to Christ, truly following him, I remember being so angry and, and, and feeling as if God had robbed me of what a joyful life was supposed to be. I remember being angry at God because I thought the loss of a dear friend, a pain in my heart, and un, a, 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 just a difficult understanding of God's loving kindness and his sovereignty How could God allow such things? And maybe some of you have experienced such loss. And it's hard to reconcile a loving God who would cause and allow you to go through so much pain. But I realized that one, I'm not God. And two, that somehow God God taught me that he could redeem those things of pain in the past. Those things that I carried around in my life that when I brought them before him and I confessed how important they were to me, to release them was not, was not so difficult. It was actually life-giving. This January in 2019 will mark my 30th year in ministry. By God's grace, I'm so thankful. As I reflect back on these many years, I think there's one word that the Lord has caused me to say over and over again, and those words are, I surrender. Every time I went on missions when I was was in campus ministry, one of the lingering questions at the end of each trip was, Jim, would you go wherever I send you? Would you be a missionary for me? And my answer was no. You see, missions was something I did because I was part of this organization, not because I saw it as a vision of my life. I wanted to live the American dream. I wanted to live a life here. I wanted to just, you know, pastor or be a deacon or elder or something, but I don't want to be a missionary. Missionaries to me were those crazy people who went into the jungles and, and did weird things and, and ate weird foods and, and suffered. And I said, that's not the life I want to live. And what, be, what, what began to unfold through the year after year of going on mission trips was to discover that to sacrifice and to surrender was not life-taking, but life-giving. 
that some of the most reviving moments of my faith happened in a field and a place where I was called and challenged to surrender. That everything I was afraid to let go of, I realized God not only wanted to give abundantly, but include him in the midst of it. You know, I finally said yes to God after I came back from a trip in India. (laughs) It was the one place where God said, would you go to India? And I said, oh, heck no. (laughs) But you know, as I came back, I realized, God, if this is what you want me to do, then I want to say yes. It was that surrender where I found freedom. It reminds me of how people in different countries catch monkeys. They would set out a trap of a jar that just allows the monkey to fit his fist through. And they would place fruits or nuts or something that the monkey smells and wants to eat. And he sticks his hand into it. And he grabs a fistful, but if he grabs a fistful, he can't pull his hand out. And instead of letting go and running away from his captors, he just sits there and he refuses to let go. And he's like, ah, and then they grab him and he's caught. And so often when I hear that story, I think about myself and I think about the fact that there are times, instead of trusting in my God to just let go and, be, and find the joy of freedom, I hold, I hold on so much. One of the most difficult times of making a decision was a time that I experienced this past summer in 2017. I would honestly say it was probably the most difficult decision and time in my life. I was contemplating leaving a church that I had planted in 2002. And I was thinking about coming and serving here at Christ Central. It was hands down the most difficult decision I've ever had to make. I was faced with the decision to leave a group of people that I had loved for 15 years and to embrace a new call and a focus of ministry on discipleship for families and small groups here at Christ Central. I knew the Lord was leading, but I had so many me issues going on inside of me. I can't leave. A faithful shepherd doesn't leave. Finish what you started, don't stop. All these things about my own identity, my own value, my own ideas of ministry. I was an absolute mess. I had several talks with my brother Young and Pastor Harold, a lot of times of prayer. And during those moments, one of the questions that came to my heart was, do you trust me? Do you trust me, Jim? You see, surrender on the flip side of that is trust. You can't surrender yourself to someone you don't trust. And what the irony of the Christian faith is that We've trusted God with our eternal life, but we can't trust him with tomorrow. We can't trust him with our children. We can't trust him with our job. We can't trust him with our marriage. And we grow anxious and we hold on to it like a monkey holding on to a grip of nuts. And God says, do you trust me? And I hope you understand that what's waiting for us is the joy and the freedom to walk with him. After, I think, what was about five months I reached a place where I finally understood a few things. I had to replace the dialogue in my thought, the narrative in my head of all the me-centered issues. And I remembered that this church that I was serving at for 15 years, it's not my church, it's his church. It's not my ministry, 
It's his ministry. He's not my servant to fulfill my will and desires. I'm his servant. This isn't my life. This is his life. He purchased it at a price. And the family, Jennifer, Josh, and Elizabeth, that's not my family. That's his family. Jennifer is his daughter. Joshua and Elizabeth are his children. And he has entrusted me to lead them, love them, and serve them. And the privilege to be called a husband and a father. I want you to understand Christ Central. That there's such a joy waiting. And every step that you take to be free, every step that you take to trust, a surrender to the one you call Lord and Savior and Redeemer is not an unwise decision. You know it in your heart. It's the right thing. And I think one of the things that I struggled with, I don't know if you struggle with this, but my biggest fear is that during missions, that God's will was that, yes, Jim, I want to send you to the most absolute worst place possible where you will suffer for the next 50 years and suffer in heat and eating food that you just, just can't stand. And for the rest of your life, this is what it will look like. No. You know, when I finally said yes, he didn't send me. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. You know why? Because it wasn't about where I was going to be. It was my heart. Are you willing to trust me? And I want you to understand that the beauty of the Christian life, the beauty of the joy of walking with Christ each day is not to get everything you're asking for. That's not the ultimate point. It's to understand that the one who's giving it to you is with you. He loves you. And he is completely, completely all about wanting the best for you. That the best that God has for you is not what I request. And so with application, I want us to think a few things. First of all, I want to encourage you to pray, not my will, but your will be done. You know what this tells us? This helps us to understand that as I make my request to him, and you can make your request, God will hear our request because we are his children and he loves us. But may I encourage you to understand as I pray and make my request, I say, I add this at the end. I say, God, but not my will, yours. Because if there's more that you want to give, if there's something better you want to give, I want that. Because I know you know better. And a smart child will say that. How many times has a child say, it's said to a parent, can you just give me a skateboard when they want to give them a big bike? Or how many children ask, can I just have this when the parents want to give them a thousand times that. So I want to encourage you that as, as we learn the art of surrender, it's really trust in the one that we are surrendering to. That God wants the very best for you, not the worst. Secondly, I want to encourage you to confess your Jesus ands. When something becomes an absolute need, that's dangerous. There are only very few things in life, food, water, and Jesus. <laughs> food and clothing and water. Clothing. I don't want you to be naked. <laughs> you know, contentment with godliness is great gain. And this is something that from the Timothy letters, if you read, it is a wonderful gift to be able to find contentment with godliness and faith in Christ. 
to confess your things that you say you need so much and say, God, if you choose not to give it to me, I'm okay because I know that what you want from me is the very best. And thirdly, to daily recognize his authority and our responsibility. You know, God wants you to live and walk and journey with him. And he's not going to do everything for you. There's things that you and I can do. We spend time with him. We come to worship him. And during these moments when we seek him, he says he will be found. It is in this authority that we trust that we would lay all things at the cross. And I want to encourage you that the cross of Christ is not a place where we just die and death, but there's life. And I want to remind us that the cross, there's only room for one person on that cross, and that was Jesus. So when we come to the cross and we are crucified with him, we don't die physically. Jesus died physically. He's the one who took the spiritual death upon himself. But when we're crucified, it is a surrender. It is a surrender to all that we say we trust him for. And this is the journey of following Christ, to learn that life is not found in its fulfillment by having everything you ask for, but to have the one thing that God gave by his grace and a gift of life. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, the old has gone, behold, the new has come. And the one thing that I hope that we understand in this American culture, it's not like some of the Eastern cultures where you have to give up your religions to, to come to follow Christ. But what is it that we've given up here in America to be followers of Christ? What is it that we've left behind so that we could follow him? I hope that truly that nothing will hold us back there's nothing that we would compare. There's nothing that, that you can get on this earth or you could have that can replace the beauty and the gift that God wants for you. Today, as we sang this song and as James introduced a song, I want, us, I want us to continue to think about what it means where it began in a journey where something old died and something new began. And that life was not just one that began, but one that continues. And today I hope that we would really celebrate how the old is gone, the new has come, how crucifixion was death, but through that, God brought life. And he can bring life to all the areas that feel so burdensome and heavy for you if you would just bring it and lay it at the cross. And Christ is a redeemer. He is the one who will bring life to all those things that bring ache and heartache. I want to invite you this time to come and pray with me, and, I, and I'm going to pray for us in closing. And as we think about this, may I encourage you to think about all the areas of your life. If there are none, praise God. But if there are some, if you've come to this worship with burdens, with things that you've brought with you, this morning may you truly remember and will you understand that there is a freedom and a joy, not only for the beginning of that journey, but throughout that journey by the grace of God. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for the cross. It was a picture for us of what it cost when we think about sin. But thank you that it wasn't just 
the payment that you made for us, it is a picture of how now we can experience an absolute surrender in your presence for all that you died for, that you might give to us. I pray that the joy of life, the fullness of life, would be found in you. And that whether it's our children, whether it's our workplace, whether it's all the hopes and dreams that we have of life, may we trust that whatever is life, it's defined through you and through Christ and not by the things that we hold on to so deeply. And may you be the redeemer of every area where it has brought shame, it has brought pain, it has brought hurts. May you be the redeemer of our past, the redeemer of all the things that bring heartache today and even for the tomorrows. For you are truly that risen Christ. Thank you. And in Christ's name I pray, amen.